Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you breaking news, the biggest stories and expert insight and analysis from Plant Football. As usual, the transfer guru himself, Mr. Duncan Castles, joins me and we're delighted to be joined by an old friend of the podcast, Sergio Cachinas, one of Portugal's top journalists and assistant director at the Record newspaper. Now, assistant director, Sergio, sounds to me like you're with the FBI. So is there something you have to tell us? Well, uh, it's top secret. Of course, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to kill you. No, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Basically, it's just um, I got the chance recently to be promoted, and I'm uh, helping the the current editor in chief. So that's that's my role over there. It's not that well. I'm always a, a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Sergio. You're, my pleasure, my pleasure. You're you're a you're a, a real goldmine of information, and we're going to be uh, definitely digging into that as the podcast goes on today. First of all, just, just to say here, I've known Sergio for I think uh, fifteen years now. And 2004, I've, 2004, yeah. yeah, I think we met at uh, Josie Mourinho's um, second press conference for Chelsea, I think. No, it wasn't a press conference. Actually, he, he had given the press conference, his first press conference the day before, and I flew to London the day after to interview him. And we met him. We actually, actually, we both shook hands to Mourinho, and then I made the interview in the hotel, which was really funny, the way he... He was. He almost wanted to get rid of Codicini, the Carlo Codicini the goalkeeper, and he told me like uh, <laughs> before the interview. Yeah, it was really funny see, the way he behaved. This is only things the FBI assistant director could, would know. Um, <laughs> what, what, what I was going to say in that fifteen-year period, Sergio has had so many promotions and changes of job. I've absolutely lost count of them. I reckon he's had more promotions than Chelsea have had managers. Since <laughs> not true, not true, not true, not true. Chelsea, <laughs> a lot of managers. Yeah. So we're going to start with breaking news, as we always like to do uh, for you, our loyal listeners. And Duncan, as usual, is on the money, and he has some information about the former Celtic striker Musa Dembele, who moved to Lyon last summer, but has scored a barload of goals and is attracting interest from certain English club who some of you are acquainted with. Duncan? Yes, uh, Moussa Dembele, who we talked about in the Transfer Window podcast a lot last summer and the January before that. I think we're going to end up talking about him a fair bit again this summer. Um, He is of interest to a number of English clubs, um, a number of top English clubs, uh, all of Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea have asked to be informed um, should Leon decide to sell him this window. Um, as far as his representatives know, there has not been an offer at this stage, but when they ask Leon about it, they are told by Leon that we expect an offer to come, which is kind of a, a strange, strange thing for a club to say. Um, but uh, he is one of the players that Leon will consider selling. They don't want to sell him this summer. They've got a long list of really talented players, including Tanguy Ndombele, Jose Moir, Maxwell Cornet, Ferland Mendy, who is going to Real Madrid. Um, they want to sell some and raise cash that way and reinvest in the team. Uh, Dembele they'd like to keep because he's had an exceptional first season there. 
wasn't a starter to begin with, but ended the season with 15 goals in uh, League One um, from 33 appearances and, and only playing two thirds of the minutes. And that's pretty much what he's done everywhere he's played at Celtic. He was a regular scorer in the Champions League. He scored goals. He's one of a very uh, small group of strikers who um, are big, um, good in the air, also good in the deck, score goals from in various different ways. Um, there's a nice little uh, scouting video of Dembele, a very short one, in which he scores three fantastic, very different goals. Um, so you can see the attraction. Manchester United perceive him as a potential replacement for Romelu Lukaku. Um, he ticks a box for them in the sense that he would, if he came to Manchester United, he wouldn't expect to be a starter. It would be a similar situation to his move to Lyon and he's, he was prepared to move there and fight his way into the team. So um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could continue with Marcus Rashford as, as his starting centre forward and, and use Dembele as an alternative if you wanted uh, more aerial strength and then allow Lukaku to go to um, probably Serie A where Antonio Conte would like to sign him if United get a proper uh, fee for him. Arsenal's interest is um, intriguing as it, as I'm told it's driven by Unai Emery um, rather than the club and that uh, Emery sees Dembele as an option should one of their lead strikers be sold this summer. And we've seen some talk that uh, China uh, has an interest in Obamayan again, as they have done in the past. And um, that could be a lucrative deal for Aubameyang, a lucrative deal for Arsenal, in which case they could uh, reinvest some of the money in Dembele and put uh, some of Aubameyang's very high wages elsewhere in the team. Chelsea, long-standing interest in Dembele, um, obviously dependent on them finding some way around the transfer window ban. Liverpool, I think, is the weakest of these. Um, they see Dembele as an alternative option um, up front. Um, but I think uh, Diva Carigi's uh, fine end to the season uh, has probably ruled out or mainly ruled out Dembele's chance of, of going there. As I think Liverpool are more likely to stick with Origi. And, uh, and as we've said, um, by a forward of a different type to supplement um, Mane and Salah. Um, and obviously there has been an inquiry put in um, some weeks ago, as we first told you in the podcast, for Nicola Pepe at Leo. So um, Dembele very much in play. Um, interesting one for Celtic as well in that they sold him for €22 million. Euros. They have a um, uh, profit clause in uh, that deal in that they will take, I'm told, between 10 and 15% of a profit um, should he be sold by Leon um, during the duration of his uh, current contract. It's intriguing that one, Duncan, because um, as we know, when uh, Dembele was at Celtic, uh, there was lots of interest in him from the Premier League, um, specifically Brighton uh, in a, a year ago last January. But uh, the player decided that that was not a career move that he wished to pursue, despite the fact that he wanted to be effectively guaranteed um, playing time uh, in any team he went to. Of the clubs you mention who are interested in him, I don't see where he gets guaranteed playing time in any of those. And his um, representatives were very specific when they spoke to Celtic 
um, about uh, potential suitors that the player would only move to a club where he felt he would be a first choice, second choice at worst. So it's interesting that you know it, the the um, the suitors for him, I would say, can't guarantee him playing time. Um, however, I do think Dembele, having obviously been schooled at Fulham uh, and then spent uh, time at Celtic, wishes to return to the UK. That does not surprise me. Now, another transfer which is progressing, another one we've told you about before, um, to Manchester United specifically this time, is the um, the winger from Swansea City, Daniel James, who uh, had a medical at the Old Trafford Club. Um, I think this is an interesting one, Duncan, because... Having spoken to some of um, the people who coached Daniel James at Swansea, they were very surprised that there would be um, such an ardent interest from a top six club as they perceived him to be, as a Premier League player, bottom half at best. Now, that's no disrespect. He's 21. He could certainly get better. Um, Does this tell us something about Manchester United's transfer policy for this window um, if indeed they're pursuing younger players like Dembele and specifically Daniel James I think it does I think um, as, as we told you before there, there's a, a desire to to bring uh, younger British players to the club obviously um, Ed Woodward likes signing players who be, he believes will increase in value who can be at the, the club for a long time and, and Daniel James obviously fits both of those categories. I agree with you. It's I find it a surprising move. Um, I believe one of the clubs in the Premier League who were looking to sign Daniel James was Brighton. Um, and uh, with all respect, there's a big difference between Brighton um, and what they're looking for to improve their squad and what Manchester United should be looking for to improve their squad. Um, he primarily plays off the left wing. Uh, he's right-footed. Um, Manchester United have no shortage of right-footed players who primarily play off the left wing. In fact, it's been an issue for them having too many of them uh, last season. And, uh, and for example, Rashford, um, well, for more than one season for 18 months, Rashford getting frustrated when he lost his place in the team when Alexis Sanchez came. So it probably tells you um, that... Manchester United are, are confident or more confident that they can get Sanchez out of the squad. Um, perhaps Solskjaer would like to move Anthony Martial on, having seen uh, the drop in his performance um, after he got his new contract. Um, although we've seen reported elsewhere that um, the Glazer, well, at least one of the Glazers, um, does not want Martial to be sold. And I would suspect Edward would be, would be in the same camp because he has always had a great reluctance about selling any of his uh, uh, of his own signings. Arpelli, um, I think, was the description, Duncan, of uh, Martial, um, which is a bit like, yeah, saying, a bit like saying Urwoli. <laughs> Um, well, some might argue that you'd be better off with Willie in the team, uh, given the way Anti-Martial has, uh, has lost his focus on his football um, post that big pay rise. But um, again, Daniel James, um, talking to scouts in the game, 
big surprise that Manchester United are going for him and they don't see that he has the range of abilities or the the likelihood of developing into a, a Champions League winger. Um, he played for Swansea in a very attacking team. Um, you know, the, they were renowned for, for being extremely positive under Graham Potter, who's now obviously moved to Brighton uh, to change their style. In a very attacking team in the Championship, he scored just four goals um, and made nine assists, which isn't a bad number for assists, but still um, not the numbers you'd expect of a player who's being taken from the Championship to be put into a squad that has aspirations of playing in the Champions League and and should have aspirations of challenging for the title. So for Manchester United, I'd like to take us back to Assistant Director Sergio. And if you can hear any helicopter sounds over my house, which there are right now, I suspect he's sent his FBI uh, spies out to just check on me. I did invite Cristiano Ronaldo to dinner to celebrate. It might be his helicopter waiting to, to land in the, uh, on the helipad outside, Sergio. Um, so clearly the um, dr- uh, raft of, of, of very talented and, um, and very expensive, it seems, Portuguese players, Sergio, are hot hot, hot in this summer's transfer market. Who would be your top three for a big move this summer? Take us through them one by one and tell us where you think they're going to end up, please. Well, um, there's a lot of of players, uh, especially this um, 1999 generation who is going back, uh, who is now showing as uh, professional and senior players they are um, the squad uh, from the, the portugal portugal generation won the euro under 17 and under 19 now they totally failed in the world cup under 20 but uh, the generation is really good they have likes diogo dalo who is already at man united they have um, of course João felix they have uh, florentino luis from Benfica. they have jatson fernandes from Benfica. uh diogo leite from porto so they it's it's a really really good squad. Um, so my uh, first choice, of course, is Jean Felix. It's the name that it's in everybody's mouth. Benfica um, keeps saying they they want 120 million euros for him. I thought that that figure was ridiculous and they would not get it. But now I have some doubts. I think that. It's may it may happen. Um, last night he made his debut for Portugal uh, first team. Um, didn't play well actually. He was really really poor. Um, but after the game he said uh, he said that he will uh, clarify his future after the Nations League, which um, we hope uh, there's something to say on Sunday or Monday. Um, most of the top teams want him. Man City, Man United, um, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, they want him. There are rumors in Portugal who, who some teams already told Benfica they will come with a 120 million euros. Um, I think Man City seems the, um, the most likely right now. Guardiola um, has sent Chiqui Bergestein to, to watch him uh, before. Um, to several games. There was this meeting last week between Benfica president and super agent George Mendes and Ferran Soriano in London. So if I had to put my money, I would put my money on Man City. 
Second player, Bruno Fernandes. Uh, he was the best player in Portugal last season. Uh, attacking midfielder from Sporting. He's uh, basically played almost alone in a in a very um, in a Sporting team that lacked a lot of uh, quality. And he scored over 30 goals, uh, made over 10 assists, I think 15 assists, made a superb season for a, an attacking midfielder. Um, winning games by himself um, is an outstanding player. With Bruno Fernandes, maybe the deal, Sporting is demanding 70 million euros. The problem with Bruno Fernandes is, I think, probably the agent. Uh, from what I know, Jorge Mendes is not working on that deal. He doesn't have um, an exclusive mandate to negotiate him. And he has um, a smaller agent uh, who is actually his brother-in-law. His name is Miguel Pino. And um, I think, um, well, I, I know that this agent has been has been um, trying to reach some help to bigger agents, uh, from some bigger agents, but uh, um, I don't know if he got someone to help him, but I think that uh, without George Mendes in the deal, things could be harder. Although I can imagine him playing in a team like Atletico Madrid, um, if George Mendes comes in the deal, um, I can imagine him in Tottenham if they sell Ericsson. I can see him also in uh, Chelsea if they can sign a player in, in the summer. Man United, I wouldn't be surprised. Man City, from what I know, it's out of the question. Um, last player, I think, Jean Cancel. Um, there are already stories about Man City want him, wanting him, which would make uh, probably... Uh, in the right back uh, more expensive in football history um, he's a player that uh, he's done really well in Juventus he's a very attacking player uh, you, you know him probably as well as I do um, but he in three four years he would, uh, he would have already uh, played for, for Valencia Juventus and Man City if, if the transfer comes I'm not sure if Man City can do all these transfers because of the financial fair play issues, but they, I believe, they will be a strong, um, a strong player in this transfer window with Portuguese players, and especially due to their relationship with the judgment. Um, if you allow me to put a fourth player, I think Andre Gomes. Uh, he will, there's there's some some uh, noise around him. Um, Everton wants him, but they're not uh, desperate to have him. West Ham, Pellegrini loves him. West Ham, they were trying to do some approach, but the offer was uh, low, 20 million euros from what I know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some English, other English club comes and, and tries to get him. Um, can you easily imagine, for instance, um, Wolves, though George Mendes is not his agent anymore. Um, but I think a mid-table a mid team in England would, would certainly look to him as a, as a, a good signing. Duncan, you mentioned Jacques Cancelo uh, for Manchester City a couple of weeks ago in the podcast. Um, we know for sure that Guardiola does not trust or indeed rate Kyle Walker, even though he costs £50 million. 
can you see them replacing Walker with Cancelo? I think um, what they they will do if they decide to um, that Cancelo is one of the deals they complete and they have uh, registered an interest with the player and with Juventus is that they will um, try and sell Danilo. Um, I think they, they have an expectation that they can get the fee they paid for him back, which seems extremely ambitious to me. Um, but they they have a problem with, um, with homegrown players. Um, they're already at at uh, the limit in terms of non-homegrown uh, players in their squad. So to switch um, Kyle Walker with Cancelo uh, would require them to bring another uh, Englishman in or, or uh, English FA homegrown trained player in to replace him. So I think more likely they retain Walker, uh, sell Danilo and, and give themselves two top international uh, fullbacks as options on that right side, which is very much the, the Guardiola way. Um, with, Jean, with Jean-Felix, um, I think uh, Sergio's absolutely right there. Um, my latest information is that he has uh, more than one offer uh, to leave Benfica and that, as Sergio was saying, that those offers are um, require them to pay the release clause, the full 120 million release clause to Benfica. And therefore, it will be um, Felix's choice as to where he wants to play. Um, Atletico, definitely strong in that pursuit. Manchester City, as Sergio said, strong in that pursuit. Um, uh, so they, they, that's basically got to a stage, I'm told, where the player will decide which is the best move for his career, um, uh, which is a, the, the club to develop, uh, whether he chooses somewhere where he expects to be for years and years and years, or whether he chooses somewhere like Atletico, for example, where you could, where they have a history of buying players, keeping them for two, three seasons, and then selling them on again. But... Um, I'm interested to know what Sergio's view of uh, of Felix's performance was because, um, uh, like like Sergio, didn't I felt he didn't play particularly well. But I, I, I was intrigued by the formation that Portugal played with essentially two players um, uh, straight up front and and uh, and uh, a man in behind the number ten um, and. As far as I'm aware, that's not a system that Felix has played in before. Am I right about that? No, no, no. In Benfica, he they they always play in four four two, a classic four four two. And actually, the, the new coach of Benfica, when he took uh, charge in January, uh, he said now in a recent interview that to change something, you will have to change the system to four four two and to bring the kid in. And the only way to bring the kid. And take the best out of that that kid is to play in four four two. I think yesterday Fernando Santos tried to do the same for Portugal, but um, I think he, he tried to make a big compromise uh, on adding in the same lineup uh, Ronaldo, Felix, uh, Bernardo Silva, and uh, Bruno Fernandes. Um, and I understand his idea because he played with like a diamond shaped midfield with yeah. uh, Ruben Neves as uh, holding midfielder, then Bruno Fernandes as a right inner midfielder, Willem Carvalho as left inner midfielder, and Bernardo Silva at the top of the diamond. Um, I think that, that w- it was the first time he... 
I think it was the first time Portugal played like that. But it's a system that this coach used to have in 20 years ago in Sporting and not 20, 15 years ago in Sporting and in Benfica 12 years ago. So, but I think it was a matter of compromise to try to bring all the, to put all the, the stars together. When, when he plays for Benfica, does he not play more off the centre forward rather than right beside the... Yeah, yeah, the he's like a second striker in Benfica. They play with, actually, they play with Seferovic, the, the Swiss striker was there yesterday. Uh, but Seferovic is the main striker and uh, Seferovic is the kind of striker that works a lot. You know, he defends a lot. He is the first to, to pressure the, the build-up from the opponent, which allows Felix to be... Uh, more, with more space, more freedom, more um, physically fresh to 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 when he has the ball. Yeah, that, that was my impression. He didn't have that space to work in behind the centre forward because they were playing with a uh, number ten at the top of the diamond. It just yeah, seems yeah. like a lot of players were out of the natural positions in that system. Yeah, when you have Ronaldo in a team, and you saw what Ronaldo did yesterday. You, you have to adapt the, the team to Ronaldo. And if you have a player who can score, score three goals out of nothing, and um, you tell this player, you don't have to defend, just concern when, when the team has the ball, try to, to do whatever you your best. And so, of course, Felix had to defend more than he does in Benfica. Um, and also, yeah, he was playing next to Ronaldo without space, uh, too close to the defenders probably. It's an interesting prospect, Sergio, because um, Manchester City currently play with three attacking midfielders in behind one-point striker in Aguero, usually, sometimes Gabriel Jesus, obviously. Um, so it would seem like uh, Felix would be a long-term replacement for David Silva in the, in the traditional number 10 role, playing in behind the point yeah. striker. Definitely, definitely. That's where I can see him in a Man City team, but... Uh, he has a lot of quality. He can play also in the um, maybe in the Bernardo Silva role um, uh, on the left as well because they the, the wingers at Man City they they're not wingers they they play in the middle. Um, so I think he can play in any of of each these three positions. And honestly, I can imagine him to develop and to grow as a top striker in the future uh, when he learns how to play without uh, uh, touching the ball so so much. I have, when he uh, feels more comfortable of not having the ball so much, he's so smart, he's, he's, he has a, a great first touch and he's a, he's a very good finisher. I, I believe he can be a, he can turn into a very good striker. After Sergio, last... you, you, you've, seen more, you've seen more of Felix than, than any of us mm-hmm. and you, you pointed him out to me um, as he was just breaking into the Benfica team as a, as a future superstar. If you were George Mendes, in the next week, where would you recommend that Felix went um, for his career? And and let's let's take Benfica out of the option here. No, um, for, for me, the the best place for him to be right now is probably Man City, uh, with a manager that really wants him, with a manager that's known for for trying to be a teacher for the for the players. He wants to develop the players, and also in a team that's uh, winning constantly. I mean. Um, it's better for him to go to a club where people, the fans and the press and even the teammates don't expect him to be the Mr. 120 million euro that will uh, 
win every game by himself. Um, I, I think, honestly, Man United is not a good choice for him right now. It's a club with a lot of pressure and probably the pressure would turn against him. And Atletico Madrid, I think, uh, could be the same problem because they expect him to replace Griezmann. Yeah. And you you can't ask that to a 19-year-old who played four, game, four months um, as a starter for Benfica. Um, although, I must say something. Felix, he has a really strong personality. Um, actually, one of the things that impressed most the, 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 the scouts, from what I know, is the fact that he scored at Porto, at Sporting, um, which are really tough grounds. Uh, for for Benfica and uh, for instance uh, Brujanes the, the Brazilian striker who is uh, probably one of the best foreign players Benfica had uh, in their history and he's been playing in Benfica for the last five years I think he just scored uh, against Porto and Sporting two goals and both from the penalty spot um, and Felix in the first season he played at Alvalade scored a goal that was disallowed by the VAR um, and scored a goal that okay counted at Porto uh, while other players were were uh, failing shots, he had the chance and he scored. Um, and and he was facing Pep, who was really tough with him in that game. And he was really defying Pep, you know, looking to him. Even the the body language that Felix was showing was from um, a, a kid with a great personality, with a great uh, uh, courage. Sergio, can I just ask you, um, discuss Felix in detail now, what about Bruno Fernandes? Where, where would you think his most likely next club will be? That's that's harder to tell, honestly. That's harder to tell. Um, without George Mendes in the, mo- in, in, the, um, in the deal, it's hard to tell. Uh, but um, I think, I think Befica is also something and they have been working that really well in the last years but if he has uh, this um, PR uh, machine working a lot uh, which also improves increases the value of the, the, the players they have in their who are grown in their academy uh, Sporting doesn't have it uh, that much the club as you probably know last year uh, they were a mess they did quite well this season and Bruno Fernandes is an outstanding player um, but um, uh, I think he doesn't have the same, let's call it sexiness, as uh, Jean Felix. Um, so that's really hard. I think, I think, uh, I think he could end up in in Tottenham if Tottenham are willing to spend, and if they sell Eriksen because they are similar players, similar roles. My opinion, Fernandez is a better player than Eriksen. Honestly, he does more things on the pitch, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if. In the end, judgment breaks something with Atletico Madrid, um, but in this case, it's harder to tell. With with um, Bruno Fernandez, we 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 talked a month ago in the podcast about Sporting using the the Nico Gaetan ruse of uh, <laughs> allowing people Some, to believe something we've created, Sergio. <laughs> Allo- allowing <laughs> you were a part of it. <laughs> no, I, I was the father of the Nico Gaetan thing. No, no, I was not. I was not. No, you were always very savvy to the Nico Gaetan Ruth, I remember. But um, yeah. uh, Sporting allowed it to be known or put the story out that uh, Manchester City had made a big bid for the player. Um, in the last couple of days, we've seen that uh, Inter have supposedly uh, made uh, a big bid for the player. 
what I'm hearing from Italy is that there is an interest in it, but uh, I'm not. I'm not hearing from the Italian end that they're convinced that they've offered what has been suggested in Portugal, which is 50 million euros plus Jean Mario um, going back to Sporting. What's what's your take on that? Do you think Inter are are serious players for Bruno Fernandes, or is this the the, the second Nico Gaetan ruse of the summer um, with Bruno? No, no. I, I, well, I don't think it's a Nico Gaetan thing because um, obviously. Uh, any club that looks uh, watches two games of him will see that he's a he's a top player. Um, Italy could make sense because he has played there for a while, Novara, Udinese. Um, so he could make sense that he goes back to Italy because even in Udinese and Sampdoria, they they he he has I think almost 100 games in the Serie A, which is amazing for a 23 year old player. Um, and uh, but the the thing with Joe Mario, it's been a rumor in Portugal for a long time. Um, come on, Joe Mario has a, a net salary of four million euros a um, year. Uh, it's totally impossible for a club like Sporting to pay that. Um, and I also think that uh, for a club like Inter uh, to send the player back to to his home country, to the the place where they bought him from will always depreciate his value in the sense that uh, they will be showing to the world that João Mario is a player that can only fit in Portugal and they will never get the 40 million euros they paid uh, back. So I think, well, it could happen if we reach the 30th of August and they have nothing else. And so they are willing to, to pay a part of the salary. They have nothing more, okay. But uh, I think it's still a long, long way for them to to have the uh, João Mario back to Sporting. Um, and I don't think Bruno Fernandes will wait. Uh, and a transfer for Bruno Fernandes will not wait until the end of August, I think. I think and finally, Ruben Dias has been also making some headlines as well with regards to his move, uh, potentially away. Um, any information on that regarding where his destination might be? The last season, he was very close to Lyon. Um, uh, they were offering 25 or 30 million euros, I think. Uh, in the end, he signed a new contract for Benfica. Um, actually, Leon Olas, I had the chance to talk to him during the the kickoff at Monaco of the Champions League draws in, later in August or early September. And he told me that uh, something like, uh, okay, uh, Ruben Dias used us to get a new contract in Benfica. Um, so he has a uh, he got a new contract with an increased uh, buyout clause, which is 60 million euros right right now. And I think that um, it's of of course there's a lot of clubs what looking to him because he's a starter in the national team of Portugal next to Pepe, and he behaves like a, a team captain and a leader. You know, he's a kind of defender that is is so young and he's not affected by mistakes, which is does sometimes. Um, but if he scores an own goal, he just stands up, grabs the ball, and he plays like uh, I, I, can, I, I will say almost he plays like a, a British man, you know, like uh, you see the English and Scottish defenders playing. Um, they 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 are brave. They are uh, they're not afraid of of uh, taking responsibilities, and so is that kind of player. But I must tell you that uh, Benfica has another player, another defender, who was started to play in February. Name is Ferro. Um, it's the same age of uh, Ruben Dias. Uh, they played together for most of their youth careers. 
Um, and Ferro is the kind of player that I see playing in a, a top team, um, especially a team like um, a team with with possession football that uh, wants the defenders to build up. Ferro is really, really impressive with the ball. Um, he lacks the, this personality, this this aggressiveness, but he's uh, he's a kind of defender. I'm pretty sure that a manager like Guardiola loves because the way he he looks a bit like John Stones, uh, if, if you... Um, so, look to him as well. Well, you heard it here first, people. Ferro from Benfica is a star in the making for the Premier League, especially for a club like Manchester City. Although I suspect Liverpool might have an interest there as well. Sergio, uh, obviously a great night for Portugal on Wednesday um, when they beat Switzerland in the semi-finals of, of the Nations League. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo yet again showing himself to be even more than the man of steel. He is uberman, never mind superman. Um, how was that game greeted in terms of the result and in terms of the optimism for the Portuguese national team in the next two to three years? Well, <laughs> the result uh, was great, especially after the performance, uh, which is not that good. Uh, first half was, was very poor from Portugal. We got a goal from a key, uh, free kick, okay. But uh, Switzerland had some chances and they hit the, po- the bar once. Uh, they, they created a lot of problems because uh, Portugal struggled with that um, tactical formation. Um, they, they tried to pressure high Switzerland, but every time they, they managed to get the ball through the, the f- first four or five men, they would find a, re- a huge hole um, in front of Portugal's defense. So they had a lot of space. Um, but in the end, when you have Ronaldo, it's, you, you can win every game, right? So that that's what happened. Uh, it was Ronaldo, okay, in the last minutes, Portugal improved a bit. But uh, I think everybody is, is realistic and we, we admit uh, most of the things come down to Ronaldo. Duncan, you've been, it's fair to say, quite a big fan of Cristiano over the years. Um, what did you make of that? And what do you make of the notion of Portugal without Cristiano in the future? Is that going to be something which is going to work? Or is it something which is going to be an absolute bombshell? Well, look, he's the best footballer on the planet. Um, when it comes down to it, indecisive moments, uh, his record in the Champions League, absolutely uh, beyond parallel in terms of scoring and scoring in key games. Um, so <laughs> you lose someone like that at your peril. But um, the thing was about Ronaldo is um, I see no sign, and maybe Sergio can correct me on this, but I see no sign of him stepping away from the game. He's, he's already on record as saying he wants to play until he's 40. Um, he wants to set as many records in the game as possible so he can be perceived not just as the best man ever to play football, but the best sportsman of all time. That's his personal target. Um, I think I'm sure he will be targeting becoming the highest uh, goal scorer in, uh, in, uh, in international football history. So um, he equals second last night, Duncan. Yeah. Um, so twenty-one goals away from Ali Dai already. Um, 
21 goals for him in four years, it's nothing. If he plays for another four years, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we love that confidence there, Sergio. No, it's true because, uh, yeah, and, and, and no, and I'm going to say something which is a bit against him. But if he plays the, the whole qualification for the uh, Euro 2020 and the World Cup 2022, he will probably play a lot of games against um, Liechtenstein's and Andorra and Samarino, yes. which will make things easier for him. I, I, I remember asking when he stepped, uh, took a break from the international team after the last World Cup. I asked um, a couple of people close to him whether he was considering retiring from international football. And the, uh, the answer came back, basically, you've got to be joking. No way will Cristiano retire from international football. I think he wants to win the World Cup. Um, and uh, to do that was Portugal in probably what might be his last chance at a World Cup, you'd, you'd have to expect that it's probably going to be his last chance at the World Cup, which cement that reputation. And I think he is as aware as anyone of the, the, that generation of Portuguese talent that's coming through. And, uh, and I think Portugal are, are trying to build a team that has a chance of winning um, the, the next World Cup in uh, Qatar. Maybe, maybe you can tell us a bit about that, Sergio. Yeah, it's true. It, it's... Um... Well, it's the, the generation that started in 2000, the team that played in 2015, the Euro Under-21. They lost uh, in the final against Sweden, a penalty yeah. shootout. Uh, but they had Bernardo Silva, they had uh, William Carvalho, um, well, Ruben Neves already, although he's a, he was a bit younger. Um, and now they had the players from the 99 generation, Felix uh, Florentino, which is, uh, is not in the team, but... Uh, He's a defensive midfielder that will be there soon. Um, they have, um, um, they still have the, the Bruno Fernandes who was also in the Euro 2015. Um, so th there's a lot of players, a lot of quality, and the, the fact that Portugal played the, um, the first uh, games of the Nations League two, twice against Italy, twice against Poland, without Cristiano Ronaldo, and, and they they were outstanding. Uh, um, Portugal is very good. Uh, when you have a player like Ronaldo, you are always closer to win games, but you have to adapt the team to play for Ronaldo and uh, with Ronaldo because, um, as I said before, it's you you cannot have a player like Ronaldo chasing the ball or running behind a, a fullback who is going up. So you have to to adjust the team to that. Uh, without Ronaldo, the team was was really good. Probably. Um, I can collect, collectively probably better uh, than with Ronaldo. Um, so I think the future will have a good future and a very good team, let's say in 2026. Um, I think there's no issue with that. Um, and we have a really good team to play with Ronaldo uh, if we can fit Ronaldo in, in the way the, the team is playing, uh, which sometimes it's not easy. Um, because we still lack a good striker. Um, well, we have André Silva, who is, is, is okay. He, he plays well with Ronaldo, but Portugal is, is in need of a good striker, a top striker. Um, maybe Fabio Silva from Porto, who is now 16, can be that player. Um, but if you see the, the positions, um, um, the right backs we have uh, João Cancelo, Nelson Semedo, um, Diogo Dalot will not have a chance to play many games for for Portugal in the future because uh, he's behind Cancelo and Nelson Semedo. Um, 
Cedric is not playing. Um, André Almeida is a starter for Benfica, is not playing as right back. Central defenders, there's Ruben Dias, there will be Ferro soon. Uh, left back, Rafael Guerreiro, okay, Mario Rui. But in the midfield, there's so many options. Uh, João Mario is not in the squad right now. Adrian Silva, André Gomes, they're not in the squad. And all these were players that were... were um, André Gomes, uh, João Mario and Adrian, they were playing in the Euro 2016, right? So... Uh, you see the the amount of players that we have, and which is uh, which is uh, uh, really hard to put them all together. Are you, course, saying, are you saying, Sergio, that there's such a depth of talent there? It's the kind of international team that Pep Guardiola would like to manage. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. If you see from, from especially from the midfield uh, to the front, the. It's very Portuguese. The amount of wingers and and creative players that Portugal has, it's impressive. Um, like Pizzi from Mefica was was elected the best player in the Portuguese league last season. Although my opinion and most of the people's opinion was Bruno Fernandes, but Pizzi he didn't play yesterday. There's no room for Pizzi. Uh, Rafa made a fantastic season from Mefica, left winger, didn't play yesterday. And you you add the players who are out. Uh, as I said before, João Mario is out, André Gomes is out. And the thing is, nobody remembers João Mario is out. Nobody remembers uh, André Gomes. Nobody remembers uh, Renato Sanchez. Because you look to, to the current squad and you see, okay, uh, who, who, who should I take to, out to, to bring them in? So it's a lot of uh, quality players over there. And of course, uh, Sergio, you may well have Jose Mourinho as head coach in uh, 2022 or 2026, depending on uh, what happens, which brings us nicely to our quick-fire round, which has got a very Portuguese flavour to it. And the question we're going to ask both Duncan and Sergio is, what next for the Mourinho mob? And by that I say, Jose Mourinho himself and his former technical staff stroke assistants, André Villas-Bosch and Rui Faria, Sergio, let's start with you on Jose Mourinho. What do you see him doing next season? Is he going to be in a job? He will be a ghost, I think. I don't see him <laughs> getting a, the job he wants in now, in, in the summer. So he will be a ghost uh, hanging around all the the managers who are having poor results during the season and uh, will be ready to take the, their jobs. <laughs> So you're not. You, I, I was thinking about Leeds United, Sergio, and the investment from PSG that's coming. Maybe you could come and work in the Championship in England. Is that an option? Well, do you think it's an option? No. Okay. <laughs> Duncan, what about you? Um, well, we we did a I did a quite a long seg- segment on Mourinho and his frustrations and not finding a job on the last podcast. So I'd refer the listeners to that if you haven't heard it yet. But I think uh, I think Sergio is right. I think what lies in store is uh, uh, frustration, uh, impatience, uh, nervousness, um, and, and TV punditry, Duncan, and TV punditry. A lot of TV punditry, and, and if, if the last uh, six months are anything to go by, a lot of uh, uh, one-on-one interviews. Um, and, and I'm not sure how, how long he will be able to, uh, to put up with that um, existence because um, he definitely wants to be back in the dressing room of a major club uh, and competing for the Champions League trophy as quickly as possible. 
So from I'll, Josie, not, they're not so friendly ghosts, Sergio. No, no. Tell us some more. No, I was wondering if, if Jose wants to, to, to keep sharing TV studios with uh, Arsene Wenger. No, it's, it was a bit strange to... to I thought that was weird <laughs> myself. <laughs> At one point together. I thought... He was going to give. He was like going to best give, friends. I thought he was going to Wenger some binoculars at one point. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. So um, obviously, Josie's next job is going to be coming on the transfer window podcast with us and uh, giving us his views on uh, on uh, Arsene Wenger and Liverpool. Uh, Sergio, tell us about Andre Villas-Boas. He's been out of the game quite a long time. We know he's got a love for rallying in the desert, but surely it's time for him to return to a club. Yeah, Marseille, which is one of the, I would say, one of the toughest jobs in Europe. Uh, the fans have really great expectations. Uh, the club doesn't have uh, the proper assets to to fill those ex- expectations. So I think he will struggle, honestly. Uh, I don't want to be mean to him because I think he's a, he knows a lot about football, but um, I think he will struggle in a club like Marseille. Duncan? Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Um, I knew Marseille was a, an option to him, but I was surprised he took that job. Um, obviously, there was lots of talk about Celtic, um, which he uh, was very keen to distance himself from. He didn't fancy uh, returning to football in the Scottish League. Um, I agree with with uh, Sergio Marseille is a, a club that's a mess. Um, issues with the sports director, issues with the squad, issues with the expectations of the fans. So um, I wonder if um, some of those elements are not unattractive to a coach who um, certainly has an ambition to uh, coach in lots of leagues, uh, lots of continents. Um, we told you in the Transfer Window podcast that he is keen to coach in Japan. Uh, he was considered for the, the Visol Kobe job, um, which is the, the richest club in Japan at present. Um, that uh, proposal fell through uh, before he decided to, to join Marseille. But um, I think in the not too distant future, um, after after he's had a go at the French League, you will see Villas-Boas in either the J-League or possibly in Brazil, which is another country he wants to, to coach in before yeah. uh, before he retires. And Jorge Jesus, another Portuguese coach, he just signed for Flamengo. So maybe he will open the door to Portuguese managers over there. That'll be interesting because they, they, there's always been this question about why Brazilian coaches haven't done well in Europe. Um, and if you talk to some Brazilian journalists, they, they, they will argue that their, their coaches aren't particularly um, tactically capable. Um, if you talk to a lot of Brazilian coaches, they'll do exactly the opposite. And when I worked in Japan, uh, the J-League at that time had a lot of Brazilian coaches and, and actually, from what I saw, most of them were very good at their job. But it'd be interesting to see how one of the a coach with a good track record in Portugal, a very good track record in Portugal, does in the Brazilian game, obviously no language issues. Um, whether he can... How, how do you think he'll deal with the emotionality of the Brazilian game and the, and the pressures that are, that are involved in coaching there? Because he's quite well, a fiery for George Jesus, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think, the, I think that that's his uh, last problem. I think the... Um, I, I can see him uh, having problems with the players because he's very demanding on, on training, 
all the players that uh, worked with him kept saying he's, he's a brilliant guy preparing uh, the teams, uh, training, exercises. Uh, they, it teaches the players so much about the game, uh, but he's too demands too much. The players get tired of him. Um, and also he, he used to, at least in Benfica, the Benfica players and Sporting, uh, they complained that uh, he, he lacked some respect to them sometimes. You know, if, if he didn't like the, the guy, he, he would be mean sometimes to him. And finally, Duncan, of the uh, Mourinho Mob trio, uh, Mini Mourinho, uh, Rui Faria, who used to be carried around the papoose by Jose, uh, now working in the Middle East. Can you see him returning to mainstream football by September? I don't think so. Um, he, uh, he won the Amir Cup, um, his first full tournament as a coach of Alduhail, uh last month. Um, a tournament which is very prestigious in Qatar, almost has more status than, than the league itself. Um, he qualified uh, Duhail for the Asian Champions League, where um, they've been drawn against Al Sad, the team he, uh, the, the, the second uh, the, the, one of two biggest teams in Qatar who he defeated um, having gone down to 10 men in the in the Amir Cup final um, his target is to get as deep into the Asian Champions League as possible um, he's obviously uh, started well there and uh, is very popular with his employers and um, there's a big possibility that um, at some point during his stay in Qatar, he becomes the Qatar national team coach um, to lead the team to the World Cup. Um, a, an aspect of his appointment was that they wanted him to develop the Qatar national team players at the Dahil to give them more tactical awareness and, and confidence and, and give them the, the kind of coaching um, that has won so many titles in tandem with Mourinho in Europe to uh, advance the national team. Um, I think, I would think the only way you see him back in Europe um, in the next season would be either one of the real premium clubs in European football made him an offer um, he could not refuse um, and they would have to pay a significant compensation package to Qatar, to Dahil, to get him out of there. Or, um, and this is a possibility to be aware of, if he continues to do well, in, uh, in Qatar with Dahil and uh, your friend Tam Tuchel has a, a bad, as bad a start to the coming season as he ended the last season, then it's not beyond the realms of possibilities that he gets moved from one part of the Qatar organisation um, to the most prominent European part of the Qatar organisation as, uh, as a future coach of PSG. Sergio, do you think Rui's been very clever? in the way he has um, seeked to develop his fledgling career as a coach in the way that he's gone to Qatar, given the influence they have in European football? Well, let's see. Let's see, honestly, uh, what happen, whatever happens uh, with him in the future. Um, of course, uh, being with all the links that the Qatar royal family they have with the, with the, with the top teams like PSG, of course, um, you never know. Um, I, I I haven't seen probably I'm I'm forgetting someone, but uh, uh, it's really hard for for a manager that goes to out of Europe 
uh, to come back to Europe. I think when when he comes back, he needs to start all over again. You know, trying to go step by step um, because in Europe we still don't uh, see football over there as very developed. Actually, again, George Jesus, he went to Saudi Arabia last uh, last season, and uh, in the hope that this season he, will, he would have something. Uh, good for him in Europe, and although he has changed the Tupini Zahavi, uh, he couldn't find anything that he, he liked. So um, I I don't see. Um, normally, I would say it's not a very smart move to go to to Middle East, but okay, with a, with a Qatar uh, uh, links there, maybe something could, could happen. Sergio Jesus. Um doesn't have English uh, as a skill. I think you told me he basically only speaks Portuguese and, and some Portuguese, people... Bad Portuguese, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously a dis- he was at a disadvantage trying to get a job. Um, yeah, it's true, it's true. But, but I know that he was learning English, he was trying to learn English in the last months. Um, but there was never an offer in the end. I was going to ask you, how is um, Faria's image in Portugal? Is it... Do do you follow um, his uh, performances in Qatar? Does he does he merit uh, media attention because he's one of you have so many Portuguese footballers and coaches succeeding abroad now? Um, do you have space to cover something like that in your in your paper? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially because the the coach who won the league uh, with Al Sadd was uh, another Portuguese actually, Josualdo Ferreira, uh, was the teacher of uh, I think Jose Mourinho in university. Um, like 40 years ago or something. Um, so it, we had uh, we had some some news, some some space in the paper um, to this uh, uh, the fact that Josualdo was winning the league, Rui Faria was winning other competitions there. So we we followed it, um, and also because uh, Josualdo had the Xavi as as his player over there, um, which is something that it, okay, it's nice. Uh, it it brings some media attention, um, but yeah, I, I don't think we we gave them more space in the paper than we did uh, probably with Paulo Fonseca. Um, probably the same. Paulo Fonseca in Shakhtar, who is now uh, very close to sign for Roma as well. Well, there's another little um, golden nugget of information for you, listeners. Paulo Fonseca and Roma um, just tripped off of assistant director of the FBI, Sergio Cachinas' lips there. He just slipped that one in without anyone no, even, public, even noticing. It's public, although, uh, sorry, it's public in Portugal. Not here it's not, Sergio. Okay. The three-year just, contract for, for Roma. Sensational. Uh, sensational. Yeah, Shakhtar, Shakhtar it, it depends on Shakhtar allowing to, to let him go um, cheap or for free. Uh, they are negotiating that right now. Right, since uh, Sergio sneaked in a bit of extra information there, I'll give you something too, which is that uh, Manchester City are very close to adding another um, young talent to their um, burgeoning and very expensive academy. He is uh, Samuel Edozi, um, a 16-year-old Nigerian at Millwall. Chelsea are also keen on him, but I'm told that uh, the strong likelihood is that uh, he will move to City. uh, And... uh, and uh, try and fight his way into that team sometime in the future. And if he manages to do that, he will have done exceptionally well because most of those academy players end up getting sold. Sergio, um, we spoke about the joy of the Portuguese nation regarding the result against uh, Switzerland. But 
Um, there obviously is a, 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 a large contingent of, of England fans currently in your country and there have been very negative reports here about their behaviour. What has been the reporting like in Portugal and, and, and what's the experience been like for the Portuguese people? Well, um, yesterday there were some problems in downtown in Oporto. Um, apparently, when they were watching the game on TV, the, in, the, in the terraces, some somebody, some guys started to throw bottles of beer. The police had to to come. They arrested two fans. Um, so it was. Uh, there are some videos in social media of the of the, of the mess. It was uh, well, but not very serious. But it was uh, something that okay, um, lots of of noise and uh, caused some problems. And um, well, since the games are, especially the tonight's game between Netherlands and, and England, it will be in Guimarães, which is not a very big city. Um, um, there are some concerns over here because both English as uh, Dutch fans are not uh, don't have a good uh, not good so friends are they, Sergio? No, not, not so friends each other, and, and they don't have such a good image uh, outside, and so there's a lot of uh, concerning issues. Uh, concerns about about it, and uh, um, that's why that they, they the policemen to to do the the to follow the the four name the four uh, four games of the Nations League, which is a lot. Uh, Nine thousand policemen, it, it's a lot. Normally, in a big game between Benfica and Porto, you can imagine eight hundred policemen. Um, in this case, it's nine thousand, which is uh, a figure that all, all, all also surprised us a bit. Do you think, Sergio, um, obviously these things are arranged well in advance. Do you think it, it's unfortunate that the, the two host cities are so close to each other in the sense that it allowed England fans to be in Porto while they were waiting for the game in Guimarães? No, I think the rules at the National League, they state that the two cities cannot be, I think, 100 or 150 kilometres more. Okay. Um, so it had to be like that. It could be... Uh, when we when I saw that Portugal was hosting it, we, we immediately thought it should be in Porto the 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 final because uh, in Lisbon the closest is, okay if you you could play two games in Lisbon, uh, but if you want to go to another city the closest stadium which could be used uh, is in Coimbra I think or Algarve which is too far. Mm. Um, so being in Porto and in Guimarães and being Porto the only. Uh, airport, uh, the only city with, a, with an airport there, so it's uh, because from Guimarães to Porto, it's uh, I think uh, 45 minutes by train or even less than that, so it, it's really close. Um, so let's hope tonight things are, are a bit better in, in Guimarães. I just hope, just hope, Sergio, they've stayed well away from those beautiful Dural vineyards, yeah, north of the river in Porto, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but but Guimarães actually Guimarães it's it's uh, it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful. It city. is. It is. Yeah. If you if you for those who haven't been there, please go to Guimarães. It's really lovely, and it's a city where Portugal was born, where our first king was born, uh, no almost ninety nine hundred years ago. So. I hope they don't destroy it. <laughs> well, I, 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 I can vouch for that. I can say Portugal, absolutely one of the best countries. It in the is world. absolutely it's wonderful. Incredible wonderful. hospitality, but um, if you can, avoid going there when England dark. Exactly. Um, Never go in England dark. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, edition of the Transfer Window podcast with its particularly Portuguese flavour. Um, it's been an absolute honour and pleasure 
to have Assistant Director Sergio Cachinas with us for this particular one. And we hope we'll welcome him back later in the summer when the window is even more hot than it is now. Uh, and thanks also to, of course, Transfer Guru Duncan Castles. Uh, if you want to continue the debate with us, and you know we love to have your feedback, questions and your views, then please do so at our Transfer Window account on Twitter, which is at Transfer Podcast. Uh, Duncan's at Duncan Castles. And I can tell you that Sergio is at, and I'm going to spell it out for you guys because it's not the same way as it's pronounced, it's at K-R-I-T-H. I N A S. I'm at at G A R. <laughs> I can't even say it, Duncan. G A R B O S J. Garbo S J. If you want to get in touch with me as well, and of course, if you like the podcast, we know that thousands of you do. Please give us something back. Get into your iTunes, log on, and then give us a five star review there. That helps us to enlarge our community. It helps us to get the debate furthered into all the football family. Uh, and we're not talking FIFA or UEFA here. We're just talking independents who like to have a proper discussion. Uh, for now, that's all from us. We'll be back on Monday to fulfil all your podcast needs. Uh, so from Duncan, from Sergio and from myself, I just want to say thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.